This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the mission of the City of Boston's Department of Innovation and Technology? How is the City of Boston delivering better government through innovation and technology? And what is Boston doing to secure its systems and infrastructure? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Santiago Garces, Chief Information Officer of the City of Boston. Santiago, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, Santiago, let's start off with the mission. Could you tell us a little bit about the mission of the Department of Innovation and Technology for the City of Boston? Yes, absolutely. So, last uh, week, we shared our department strategic plan. And in the strategic plan, we outlined the vision that our department is to help bring more equitable, effective, and efficient services and products to the residents of the city of Boston, to our constituents. Um, And in many ways that we are meant to help connect our constituents with our workforce and be able to embrace new possibilities and be able to uh, do so at a scale and and bring in new ways of doing so. Yeah, and when you think of your department, um, how is it organized to support that mission of connectivity between constituents and employees of the city, and particularly your department? How how do the operations and services work? Absolutely, so we have a functional organizational chart. So we have a couple of different teams. So we have our cybersecurity team that oversees uh, cybersecurity operations and identity and access management. Uh, We have infrastructure that looks at our network, including our wide area network and the network that supports all the different buildings and uh, voice over IP and so on and so forth. We have uh, another team that oversees the hosting services, so all of the services to manage servers, cloud, and so on. We're kind of rethinking what the department should do and what are the capabilities that the department has to fulfill that mission and vision that that I just shared. We have a digital team that manages Boston.gov and a lot of our social media and other creative assets. But we are starting to invest in building a user experience research function, as well as developing more service delivery transformation services there. There's another major group that has been undergoing transformations. We traditionally had an enterprise applications team that was responsible for a lot of the core applications that run the city, our payroll system, hiring system. Uh, permitting and licensing systems. And what we've done is say, it's actually really difficult to hire people that are both really good technically and very good from a business and user needs standpoint. 
So we split that team. We're in the process of splitting the team into two groups, one that we call our products group. And the other group is going to be an engineering and architecture uh, team. We have on the functional side, another team that is our digital equity and our broadband and cable office. So one of the things that we've articulated is all of the things that the other teams do revolve around how is it that we power government with technology and innovation. But we know that a lot of our residents have gaps in being able to connect to those experiences. They might not have affordable and reliable internet. They might not have the devices needed. They might not know how to use these tools. So our digital equity team is there to, first of all, understand those gaps and then align resources both internally from the city, but also from the state and federal government and, and philanthropy to try to bridge those gaps so that we know that the promise that these digital experiences can come true for every constituent in the city. So, so when you think of your portfolio and the, the department you manage, could you give us a sense of the specific duties and responsibilities of the CIO for the city of Boston? I've taken that my job has been to first articulate that vision of what is it that our department and what is it that innovation and technology should do in the city and for an incredible transformative leader as Michelle Wu. So trying to figure out that question of what is it that we should be doing. Secondly, I think that it is my job to be able to visualize what those gaps that exist within the city and, and our residents um, so the city of Boston has about 25,000 full-time employees, um, a large number of contractors, a budget of $4.3 billion. And we know that the question of how is it that people are using technology or how is it that they're able to do their jobs better is not fully understood across the board. And different departments might have different approaches to doing so. and when that comes at the detriment of an employee or of a constituent, we know that that's unacceptable. So I think that my job is to have the leadership of saying that is unacceptable and then trying to be creative in setting a strategy to make sure that those experiences are, are great. This is the third job that I've had as a CIO in, in cities. And I think that what I've taken in stride and why I was attracted to come to Boston um, was the mayor Wu's calling to think, what are the possibilities of government? So starting to think about what are the paradigms that we've had as IT departments that we should be challenging so that we can think about what is it that we were living on the table without kind of developing and try to chase after that. Yeah, that's important. And uh, you think of the challenge that the mayor set out. I'm wondering, as you took over, uh, and this, as you said, is your third municipality that you've worked on. What are your top, say, three management challenges that you've faced in this position? And how have you sought to address those challenges? Boston is a city that is older than the United States, right? It's a city that uh, has almost 400 years. And there's a lot of inertia. There's a lot of things that we've done because we've always done them that way. And that is a challenge in of itself. So creating a culture where we are inquisitive, that we challenge the assumption that we, just because we've done something in a way 
that is the way that we should do it for the next 400 years. I think that the second challenge has been, I think about it from a statistics standpoint, what are the type one errors and what are the type two errors? Um, this is a notion that that I learned from uh, Mitch Weiss, who's a professor at Harvard Kennedy School, who used to be a chief of staff uh, for Mayor Tomanino. The type one errors are what are the things that we currently do that maybe we should stop doing? You know, they've with technology or paradigms or things that we're doing that are really not helpful. On the other hand, what are the type two errors? What are the things that would have great benefit that we don't know about because we haven't tried? And I think that in the context of an IT department, and you know, like I think about this in legacy large organizations in the city of Boston, the federal government, state government, over the course of time, think about like when the, there's the first chief information officers being created and these first department of information technology, there's a lot of hope for transformation. And I think that for some reason that had receded and we were, our IT departments had become more and more clerical departments that were just, you know, buying and maintaining laptops and uh, phones and whatnot, because some of these departments were not engaging in what the city needed as a future need, that there was the creation of digital offices and data offices and other pieces that that were trying to fill a gap that the CIO and the IT departments weren't filling. So my leadership challenge has been, and in Boston, we're, we're lucky that the digital teams and the chief digital officer and the chief data officer are part of our organization. So I've really taken in stride of thinking, what does enablement at the broader scale mean? How is it that we make sure that we're bringing kind of that promise of government to all aspects of the operation. And we're not just thinking there's a legacy piece and there's a modern piece, but really trying to bring value and benefit across the board. A third management challenge, but obviously working with, with stakeholders around change management, clarifying the vision, delivering incremental value in the vision so that people understand why is it that we're making the changes that we're making is, is a significant challenge. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, maybe Boston is new to you, but you've done this in other cities, as you pointed out. So I was wondering, Santiago, what has surprised you since taking on this role in this city? Boston's an extraordinary city in many regards. I think there's some pieces that are very different from South Bend, Indiana, or Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, where where I worked previously. Um, there's a really strong real estate market. There's it's a city that's been growing. It's a city that has some really strong economic forces. And it's that makes it a little bit different from Midwestern Rust Belt cities that were uh, declining in population where there's... So I think sometimes the sense of urgency is different. I mean, obviously, Boston is much more exposed to climate change and there's some demographic challenges with uh, influx of immigrants and affordability that, that are different in Boston. But I think that recalibrating my problem space has been, you know, like a, a, a learning lesson. It's an organization that has a lot of history and a lot of legacy and sometimes that can be very good, but that also can be somewhat challenging because People might be used to doing things in a particular way and they've done it for a really long time. And I think that challenging those assumptions is is difficult at times. So I think that that piece is 
is challenging, but I think that we have a very smart workforce. We have people that are extremely talented and there's a lot of care and hopefully we're able to present the a vision and bring the resources to be able to make true significant change, especially change that has an impact on, on our constituents' lives. Terrific. Uh, I was wondering, given your background, I didn't know about your your undergrad studies. It's, that's interesting when you think about it, and, and you're in politics now, so to speak, on the on the peripheries or adjacent. But how do you lead Santiago, and what what are the characteristics in your mind uh, that make one an effective leader? I think a leader articulates a vision, generates excitement about the vision, and corroborates kind of validates the excitement about the vision when there's delivery. So like you're almost trying to tie. Yeah, like delivery usually comes in the form of things that are simple, that are easy to oversee. And I think that a good leader kind of hypes up, creates a hype and fulfills a cycle where we show up. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, we've been really focused in changing the way that our department works. And one of those ways that we work is embracing agile. We don't go up front and say we're going to be an agile organization because that's not the point. The point is to deliver better value, faster, with better quality. But we are embracing the methodology of agile to do so. But it's a journey. So whenever we present, hey, we could work faster, we could deliver more with less uncertainty. Whenever a team starts using a tool to visualize the work that they have and they start communicating with one another, that is a manifestation of this broader vision. So celebrating and saying, hey, look, this one instance that you're doing is a manifestation of this broader thing. And isn't that exciting? And then just think about like, what are the challenges that we had in the past that around miscommunication, people not knowing that uh, we were going to do a firewall upgrade. So your <laughs> upgrade to a server solves because you didn't know that. But now that we're all using the same tool, you can see that that's slated for work. So you could be proactive in knowing that you should maybe delay your upgrade on the application side. So, it's, you know, like a, te a technology department of a scale that we we're talking about is fairly complex. So good communication brings collaboration. It brings order. It makes things easier. We spend less time stepping on each other's toes. So, but I think that, that creating a vision articulating the vision and then celebrating the delivery, I think it's key. And I think that I've learned as I've managed teams of increasing size and in an organization that has increasing perspective, scope and, and, and size and complexity has been, I think, leveraging communication tools like how I write, how I communicate. And the more of, more and more of my job ends up being about communicating and sharing rather than doing just like specific technical work. And someone who is trained as an engineer, I do love getting my, my hands dirty or like going in and trying to build stuff. But, but I find that that becomes less and less effective. And, and my job is just to try to get the team to move in the right direction, emphasize what values, what do we value and celebrate when we accomplish that. And I've learned to be a more positive leader before. I think that I used to focus a lot on the things that frustrated me, but people get more excited about things that are exciting rather than just hearing about the things that are disappointing. So I've learned that as well. What are the IT priorities for the city of Boston? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. 
To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Santiago Garces, Chief Information Officer of the City of Boston. I was wondering if you could sort of give us a, a, an overview of your IT strategy and maybe highlight for us some of the strategic priorities you're focused on right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have three priorities and you'll notice that the priorities are less about like actual things, but more about the house. The theory of change here has been if we change how we work, we will be more successful. So the first area has been saying that we deliver products and services that connect our constituents with City Hall. Again, for a more technical audience, it implies embracing Agile and DevOps as frameworks for the delivery and ITSM, uh, ITIL as a service management methodology for, for the way that we work. So one, understanding what are like the discrete services and products that we offer. Two, being able to articulate what is the value that they offer to the people who use them and articulate the value, not just based on our assumption, but really being able to get our customers or potential customers to articulate that value. Three, being able to measure things that are valuable about those services and products. So availability, security, uh, reliability, being able to build roadmaps where the things that we know that technology is always evolving, there's always new needs and the city's evolving and its needs. There's new legislation being passed. There's new funding every year. So understanding how so that we build how is it that we intake that work? How is it that we refine it? How is it that we um, plan it out and map it out into roadmaps? And then how is it that we make sure that we're delivering on those improvements is a, a key part. So that's like the first core part of the strategy. The second part is around governance and policy. So as I mentioned before, the city of Boston, similar to uh, the, the federal government or in, in state government, my department is not the only IT organization within the city. The police department, the schools, the public schools, the public library, and there's many others have IT groups. But the thought is those groups benefit when they work collaboratively, when they have standards, when one, because it protects our residents, it protects the constituents, making sure that that there's a level of service and the quality and security that they can expect and privacy. Two, it makes it easier for us to have clarity around what is it that we're going to do? What are the roadmaps? 
uh, from a financial management standpoint, it's just better, uh, better as well. And it makes sure that we're not missing populations of employees, that there's not a department that's not going to have the right tools to do the work that they need, and that we're negotiating what is the support structure for that work. So is it our department that's going to provide it? Is it someone else that's going to provide it? And that we make sure that there's consistency and clarity. And hopefully no one wants to have ambiguity when they're requesting something that they know. What is it that they'll get when, when they get it? The last piece is again, on the digital equity side, and the how is thinking about the gaps, again, in connectivity, devices, and skills and attitudes. And in Boston, we know that the problem of digital access tends to be concentrated also with people that have high vulnerability, social vulnerability. So elderly adults, people with disabilities, non-native English speakers, immigrants, people who live in affordable housing, and other markers of risk. So how is it that we bring solutions to where those people are. So again, as we are building better experiences in government, we know that those people have those resources. And we know that those tools are not useful only for interacting with government, but to get healthcare, to, uh, for workforce participation, to be able to work. If you have a disability and you have a difficult time commuting, working from home could be a game changer. But if you don't have access to the tools to be able to work from home, you're not going to be able to participate in the workforce that way. So anyways, those are kind of the three main pillars. And our hope is that overall, we're expanding the possibilities of how is that we work. We're living kind of an open plate around like, what are the things that would actually be beneficial, but focusing on user experience, the experience of our residents, the experience of our employees and the process and having technology complement that. As a follow-up, Santiago, are there any specific internal drivers and or external trends that have shaped and informed your IT strategy? Yes, I think, I mean, the most obvious one is the COVID-19 pandemic. I think even though we are knock on wood in a post-pandemic world, I think that, you know, officially the World Health Organization has declared that we're no longer in a pandemic and the pandemic was such a stress test to show us what were the things that were working and what were the things that were failing. And I think that if we can be more organized as a city and as a department in what we offer and we can be more strategic in understanding what is it that we should be capable of, I think that we'll be better off for whatever happens next. And I think that the other thing that the pandemic highlighted is in certain situations, digital tools become lifelines. They are not um, optional. They're things that enable people to continue to live their lives safely. If you didn't have access to these digital tools, you would have to put your life at risk to be able to shop, to be able to interact with other people, to be able to get healthcare. So I think that being proactive and trying to minimize the structural gaps that people have and the barriers that they have to access those services is something that I think that that's like the biggest one. And obviously, internally, we I just think that having a better experience, having something that is better documented, better understood for both like the internal for our teams, but also for our customers would be better. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I was wondering if we could explore kind of dig a little deeper into some of the efforts you're leading in it. And one area I'd like to talk about is modernizing infrastructure and systems. Can you tell us more, Santiago, about some of the initiatives or efforts you're pursuing or have plans to pursue around modernizing 
enterprise applications? And, and what are the intended benefits of some, maybe perhaps some of the challenges in doing such work? Yeah, so one of the things that we've started to incorporate, again, as an ethos as well, is that modernizing and maintaining our applications and our systems don't have to be exclusive to each other, that they are part of the baseline. And part of what we, again, as we start asking the teams to document and to track the work that they're doing and to be able to visualize it and surface it, is we want to be very intentional about investing and maintaining systems that are secure, that are up to date that are working well. It's just like good management, right? Thinking about like we're being good stewards of these public goods that we support. So I'll give you a couple of examples of areas where we've been working. So we've been making some major improvements to our network and our network is kind of like the lowest, is the common denominator for everything else. Most people don't know that the network is there, but we have obviously a couple of different dimensions of the network. We have our Bonet, which is our wide area network that connects about 400 facilities. And we've been making some really exciting improvements. We're in the process of um, increasing the bandwidth of like the core backbone to get to 100 gigabits per second and enabling it to get to up to 400 gigabits per second and increasing reliability. So what does that mean? That students in Boston public schools will have access to faster internet that will be able to uh, partake in more intense applications. So they could be doing virtual reality learning. They could be doing data analysis with open data sets and, and other things, um, but really building the foundation up front. And it's it's multi-million, it's many millions of dollars of, of investment and a lot of complex projects that we're doing, but we're Again, celebrating those investments, thanking the council. And one of the things that we've been planning as we commission some of these new systems is how is it that we can celebrate, including the kids that go to Boston Public Schools to learn about fiber optics and about tunable lasers that are the things that run these next generation networks. And um, on the applications and other pieces, again, we're modernizing first the way that we work, how we surface and visualize the work, how we capture the requirements from our customers so that we know what we're doing actually has value. But we're also working on changing the how we run the applications and how we build the applications. So we just completed a major project to migrate our enterprise resource planning software. So like the, the system that manages the financial sun HR systems to the cloud. So it's now hosted in the cloud, which came handy because literally three weeks after we did the migration, we suffered outage for several weeks in our mainframe, which had been hosting the ERP. So we're a couple of weeks away from having a major outage that would have been very disruptive to the city that again, because we're being proactive, we've been making those changes. So lastly, we've been again, continuing to think about like how I said that we leverage cloud technology and how is it that we leverage some of these new tools and lately how is it that we leverage generative AI and and some other tools in delivering value and bringing new paradigms to build uh, technology tools and to maintain them. So that's been really exciting. I was wondering, uh, Santiago, the core infrastructure portfolio is essential backbone to the city's technology and technological systems. Are there any initiatives you're pursuing to enhance these key elements of this platform? Absolutely, we we are. So um, our infrastructure teams, as I mentioned, are working on some of the most exciting projects. Uh, our network team on building improvements to some of the core network 
uh, the WAN network infrastructure, and we are already starting to see the benefits of that. We have also been working on making um, expansions and readjustments to our free Wi-Fi infrastructure to try to bring better support and better experiences for people who are commuters. So who are in areas of the city, maybe waiting for the bus um, or for the trains that we know might uh, not have have limited data plans or, or other stuff. So that's one area. On the hosting and, and infrastructure side, we've been working on, our teams have been really great about coming up with pilots or kind of shifting the way that we host and manage some of our infrastructure. So starting to think about what are workloads that can be shifted to the cloud. Uh, so we're in the process. And again, under this notion of working iteratively, uh, with feedback, we are starting to migrate our SAN data stores from our department to the cloud, which is very exciting. Um, and then starting to think about what are, how is it that we leverage some cloud native tools to transform different services and products. So, but again, thinking about what is the problem upfront and then what are the things that the cloud or other tools enable for us that we wouldn't have. And then the last one that we've been working on as a journey, again, is like thinking about how is it that we go towards this continuous integration, continuous deployment world for kind of in the DevOps spirit of bridging our development and application practice with our infrastructure work. So we have brilliant teams and people that are experimenting, and I hope that they feel supported by me, that they feel that I'm bringing the resources and giving them the latitude so that they can both maintain the systems be able to experiment and try new things. And again, our metric is that if the improvements help bring more stability and make it easier from a management and maintenance standpoint, then it's a win-win leveraging those new technologies. That's terrific. You know, I was wondering, what is your department, Innovation and Technology, doing to use data and analytics to improve the quality of life and the effectiveness, most importantly, of government operations? And what are you doing to create a more modern, data-centric and responsive city government? Are there any initiatives around improving performance and accountability that highlights the use of data? Absolutely. So we have the the data analytics team. And in some sense, again, like we've been in this journey to think, what is the next iteration of that? And Mayor Wu also asked me to be the lead for the constituent services work. She has five priority areas, and one of those areas is constituent services. So again, it's a humbling, I built the performance management system for Mayor Pete when he was mayor. And um, there's a chapter in, in his book about the performance management work that we did. So in some sense, there's been this very humbling experience of how I said that I tried to learn what would work that I've learned from other cities and what are the things that need to have a Boston flavor to them or, or new innovation. So I'll tell you some of the things that we've started to do. We're starting to... One, make sure that we're able to measure and also capture new pieces of information about our resident experience. So we're going to be working this year in understanding the experience and the perspective. So through surveys and other methods to try to understand how is it that people are getting the information and getting the services that they need from us. We've had a lot of data about our work, but not necessarily about the user experience and the perspective that people have about that work. Two, We've been working on trying to shift the city so that it's an aspirational goal that 80% of the work that we do against our public assets, the, the things that residents experience, that it is being 
proactive and not reactive work. So again, it involves changing a little bit of our systems and changing the data that we have around um, how is it that we track the work that we do and how does it originate. But we're also embracing, again, some of the new tools with generative AI, and we're starting to um, show how people across the organization can use ChatGPT or BARD to analyze open data that we have about constituent services to try to improve the quality of their services or um, explore hypotheses or try to even do some statistical tests to try to understand is, is the SLA or the response time for a, an issue lower in a neighborhood than in another neighborhood? Those are things that statistics allow us to, to tell. And with some of these tools, we're able to have people at least try out uh, how to get better insights from the data that we have uh, without having to have as much technical depth. I mean, that's important. I mean, you need a skill set to do that. But, you know, switching gears a little bit, um, in the city, you need you need this area. And I want to get into what the department's doing, and especially, specifically your department, Santiago, to promote broadband adoption and decrease barriers to digital access, which you had uh, had originally noted earlier um, as a key focus of yours. But what are the challenges in this area? Yeah, I think, and it goes a little bit even to the previous question. So one of the challenges for digital access is like, first, it's a multidimensional problem. There's a number of things that need to be true for someone to have a positive digital experience. Your internet connectivity needs to be good. And we know as people that manage complex infrastructure that that has different implications. The broadband, so from the internet service provider to your building, you need to have a good connection. From the point of entry from the building to your unit, you need to have good connection. You need to have a good router or a way of broadcasting the, the signal, whether it's Wi-Fi or you have Ethernet, you need to have the right device to do the right thing. So if you have a tablet or a mobile device, maybe, and you want to write an essay or a cover letter, maybe that's not good enough. So even if you have a device, it's not the right device for you to do what you want. And lastly, do you have the skills and the tools to do what you want? So. In Boston, that problem is harder because there's some contradictions. There's actually a lot of our department conducted a study. We use data to try to understand this. We've done assessments and we find out that there's actually Boston benefits from the fact that there's a lot of service providers in our area. And we, based on our research, we know that the availability has also increased quality and affordability, but there's still about, we estimated, and this is like using pre-pandemic data, so we it's probably lower than this, but we estimated that about 12% of our residents were not connected. So about 32,000 residents did not have internet at home. Now we've been creating a strategy that addresses each of the pieces of the dysfunctionality and also trying to make investments in getting better data, more current data to understand where it's almost like finding the needle in the haystack. And our hypothesis is that the people that experience these barriers are people that are living in affordable housing. They're people that have already other barriers that prevent them from being able to access other things. So building strategies that help reduce the barriers to access. So we've been working on promoting the affordable connectivity program. We just recently found out that we've signed up 40,000 households to get $30 or less for internet connection at home. So again, this is an area where we're using data, we're using statistics, we're using all of our, and our partnerships and the the relationships that we've built with community-based organizations and others to try to bridge the digital divide as well. 
That's that's wonderful, you know. And, and to do all this, you need a secure platform. You you need to focus on cybersecurity and resiliency. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about your efforts in this area of cybersecurity, resiliency, enhancing the city's multi-layered defense. What solutions are being implemented to manage and, and mitigate cybersecurity risks while also, uh, even more importantly, uh, ensuring the continuing operations and data recovery in the event of a disaster or some sort of uh, black swan event? So we have a really talented cybersecurity team. And I think that that being said, we know and we embrace that the security landscape is always changing and that it is about resilience. How is it that we can recover from issues, not only believing probably falsely that we can anticipate all of the issues? So um, I think that here there's two pieces. One, everything that we laid out in this strategic plan, I think, leads to better security. So being more organized, having better sense of the life cycle of the systems that we have. Basically, everything that is good management tends to be good cybersecurity, not keeping systems beyond their expected life cycles, not keeping systems beyond support, being proactive in patching and delivering updates. All of those things are really essential and important, and they're the kinds of things that help us reduce our risk profile. And we, again, we benefit from a really good team. And secondly, reducing the risk throughout the enterprise through governance and policy. So to the extent that we have rational ways in which we can understand how is it that other departments and agencies are procuring technology, that they are also not keeping technology beyond the the point where it's unsafe uh, for us to operate and commission those systems, that we're being diligent in budgeting and having the management of those systems be be done properly and well-staffed. Those are the things that we're trying to uncover. And lastly, again, going back to the, the strategic plan, on, on a second aspect is also we've been increasingly focused on how is it that we make our residents safer but from a digital equity standpoint and also when they interact with us. So this year we're excited. We have received funding from the city council and from the administration to implement an identity management program for resident facing applications. So we're evaluating, again, there's login.gov, the the federal tools. We've been starting to talk with the leadership at the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the state CIO and kind of investigating what are some options there. And on other pieces, we've started to think about if we're going to be connecting our residents, our constituents, and we know that the people that tend to be disconnected are also the people that tend to have higher vulnerability to the risks of digital tools. So the increase in fraud uh, for elderly adults from spam and phishing, so on and so forth. So we've started to align some of our investments in digital equity to provide tools for cybersecurity for our constituents, because we think that it is the right thing to try to figure out how we can give them the tools to stay safe, even beyond their interactions with, with their city. How is the city of Boston delivering better government through innovation and technology? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, 
follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Santiago Garces, Chief Information Officer of the City of Boston. Yeah, you know, earlier, Santiago, you mentioned uh, the importance of IT governance, and I was wondering if you could take a little bit of time and tell us, uh, what are you doing in the area of, uh, you know, enhancing IT governance across the enterprise, and how can doing this be somewhat challenging from a cultural standpoint? Yes, I think, I mean, the foremost challenge is inertia. Um, A lot of these systems and a lot of things have come up, again, Boston's a city that has been here for 400 years, and a lot of things that have come up came up kind of unintentionally or not necessarily in a coordinated fashion, right? So I think that the first challenge has been creating a notion, lack of governance is a problem, and it's a problem that has urgency and it needs to be solved. I think that that is an accomplishment in the past year where I think that we've been able to get to that point. What are we doing about it? I think, again, my hope is to build a governance process and a governance system where 80 to 90% of what we're doing, we do because it really benefits all the stakeholders in such an obvious way that you would not even think about why wouldn't you do it that way? So we are in the process of, we just hired a director of governance and policy for our department. And we intend to hire business relationship managers that work with that person foremost to build relationships with departments and agencies so that we understand what are their priorities, that we make sure that we're aligning and creating and investing in the capabilities that would meet those needs and also helping departments and agencies have less of a headache when they have to interact with us. We're a complicated department. We And when you start going, not only our department, but all of the different technology organizations that live in the city, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to understand who do you go to for what? And our goal is to, that the governance process simplify that that the standards and policies help simplify the question of how is it that we should build something? How long should we expect it to be in operation? How do we build it? How do we secure it? So the hope is that by making things more convenient, we end up making it more efficient, more secure, better protecting the digital rights of our of our constituents. And it is a matter of building trust and then also investing that trust to make change knowing that there's going to be some skepticism. And again, there's like a 10 to 20% of things that are going to be inconvenient to people. And we want to be honest about it. But I do think that whatever we do will have an impact for the workforce and for our constituents. That's terrific. You know, I was wondering, um, 
Santiago, how is the city of Boston leveraging emerging technologies such as AI, machine learning, blockchain? And what emerging technologies, for say, hold the most promise for what you're trying to do in achieving the, the priorities you've laid out for your department? Yes, I think, I mean, we live in a very exciting time. And uh, in some sense, that's also partially what made me want to be a CIO of a major exciting city like Boston for the third time. I think that we're, I was trying to to think about what it would be like to be in technology and government uh, in the 90s when the internet first came out or when the transistor and the computers first came out of, uh, in earlier decades. So I think that we're in a time that is almost as momentous as that. So I think from our perspective, there's like a couple of things. First, knowing the technology enough itself is not valuable. It's how it solves problems. But you will never know what problems could be solved if you're also not willing to experiment or to learn a little bit about what are the limitations of technology. And the technology evolves too, right? So there's things that were not possible before that might be possible in the future. Particularly with generative AI, for instance, we've issued in May of this year guidelines on the use of generative AI with the and we stated it explicitly we wanted people to experiment responsibly so we gave people three guidelines of things that they should not do but we also encouraged them to learn how to try out the tools to learn about the tools but we told them uh, to fact check to make sure that anything that was produced by the systems that was verified before if it's code that you verified that you understand what it does and how it does it before you, you use it in production if it's text or like a policy brief or a memo that you agree and you understand what it how it works if it's a job description that you understand what are the things that you might be missing from the job description so just being explicit about that we also um, ask people to consider bias of what might, you know, like the these systems get trained with data and making sure that they're aware of that. Two, that they disclose that they've used generative AI to uh, generate content. One of the things that we thought that was at most at risk of generative AI was not losing the trust of our residents and losing the trust of, of our employees of disclosure. And the last piece is making sure that we were not sensitive, uh, sharing sensitive or private information in the prompt. So nothing that would be regulated, nothing that could uh, cause harm that wasn't already getting shared. And again, with the particular technologies that you mentioned and with others, we're trying to do two things. One, encourage our staff and our workforce to be willing to be more experimental knowing that it's okay for some of these things to fail if we've had like a risk management perspective um, to engage with university partners to engage with the private sector to learn and understand what are some of these capabilities but i really do think that some of these tools are really transformational and especially with generative ai i just think that it reduces the barrier of interaction with technology in a way that is really empowering to employees. And I'm thinking about like the automobile, or if you think about trucks, like how could government work? Like most of what the, a city does is like, we have ambulances, we have fire trucks, we have police cars, we have waste trucks that provide so much value to people. Like we would never think about how a city could operate without that technology or with cell phones. I think the generative AI might be something like that like, 
I think that it has the opportunity of bringing a lot of efficiency and clarity and communication at a scale that is really exciting. Yeah, that is excellent. So, you know, from what you just laid out, uh, I was wondering, the next question I had was around your ability, whether it's in Boston right now or even what you did at South Bend or in in Pittsburgh, how do you, have you sought to create a culture of innovation, Santiago, challenging old ways of doing things and, and really re-energizing IT and creating a sense of urgency while also taking seriously the risks of doing things differently? Absolutely. So one thing that makes it easier for us in Boston is the mayor explicitly one of the things that she said is that we should embrace the possibilities so <laughs> i think that that implies embracing a culture of innovation and um as we were having conversations with the department you know some people everybody struggles with doing things differently even i struggle with doing things differently sometimes but saying we can't be the department of innovation and technology if we're not willing to try new things or that we can consider that there could be a better so i think like fundamentally is embracing the notion that there might be something that is better better for you and better for our constituents and our workforce that goes beyond what we do right now. Um, secondly, I think that this you applied in your question, managing risk. So thinking about how is it that we can contain the risk so that we understand the technical risk, the financial risk, the operational risk. So does this do what we think it would do from a technology perspective? Do we know how we would pay for it and could we budget and, and pay for it reliably? Do we know a way in which we can support it and we can support it from a safety perspective? But also focusing on delivering more incremental. It's okay to do prototypes, to do things that are smaller, that validate whether those risks exist. So a lot of times the biggest risk is we don't know how to measure the risk. And the only way of getting the data point is by trying and, and executing. That's the, at the heart of the scientific method. So it is exciting. It's more uncomfortable for some people, but I but I think that it is part of our duty to as stewards of technology and 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 as stewards of of public um, resources to be thinking how is it that we could serve the public at a higher level. And I think that that's part of our job. Yeah, that, that is important. How are you? You know, how are you using to do all the things you've set out to do really quickly? How are you using partnerships and collaborations to improve operations and achieve the outcomes you're seeking? Yes. So we're very lucky in Boston to have, I mean, there's almost a major university in every neighborhood. So um, in the past, I have I was a founding member of the Metro Lab Network, which is a network of city university partnerships. So I've had, is, uh, had great pleasure in working when I was in South Bend with the University of Notre Dame and with other universities and in Pittsburgh with Carnegie Mellon and with Pitt. Here in Boston, we just have a lot of universities. So I've been trying to meet, I, there's some people that I knew from the Metro Lab Network, and then there's also new collaborators. So we've definitely been engaging with academics, with students and with others as we uh, work on. So we, I got a lot of feedback from academics and community partners when I was drafting both the strategic plan and our guidelines. And that's been very helpful. I've um, also been increasingly working with uh, with other members of the cabinet, including our chief of um, economic opportunity and inclusion, Shagun Idowu, on engaging the private sector 
again, thinking that as we change the way that government works, could that also have an economic and financial benefit to the city and to the region as well and, and, and help bring new opportunities to the people of Boston? So we're still working, I think, in how to make these things more programmatic and to invest in the infrastructure to do it. But it's been part of the DNA and, again, uh, part of, I think, the way the Mayor Wu has uh, invited us to work. Santiago, what are you doing around workforce development, recruitment, and retention? And what is being done to address the any IT skills gaps and get the right people on board? I think foremost, when it comes to workforce development, I think that we've been trying, we've been building the strategic plan and the vision because that true north is what allows us to figure out what are the what are new capabilities that we might want to invest in. For instance, the user experience researchers. So we're hiring the first full time user experience researchers for the city. Uh, we're hiring the first full time uh, performance improvement coaches for the city. So I think that having like the true north of the types of things that we want to be able to do because we believe that will have an impact. Um, at the same time, we're also being cognizant about things that we will stop doing. So we've been working on, there's a, a team that was managing our mainframe and we've decommissioned the mainframe because the infrastructure is not in the cloud. So we've been working on retraining and rescaling those employees the other part that we've been really keen on is thinking from a business model and from like a labor market perspective, what are things that realistically we can do in-house and what are things that need to be done by a contractor? So things that need to be done by a contractor because we do them scarcely, we don't do them very regularly, or because it involves um, expertise that is really high. This happens a lot in our network, right? We Our team is expected to support systems that have firewalls, uh, wireless uh, systems, identity management systems, uh, local area networks, core switches, WAN switches, like fiber optics. Each one of those might take, like for really to optimize and configure the technology, it might take really specialized skills. So being able to leverage our partners and our vendors to find the right fit we also don't want to not have the expertise in-house to be able to hold our vendors accountable and to know whether things actually work the way that it should so making sure what we know that we're probably not in the best position to do versus what are the things that we think that we should insource and what what are things that we need to get really good at and we've been working on a couple of strategies to diversify our workforce and start bringing new opportunities so we've been working with some national partners to attract talent, especially people that have been working in the technology sector that might be interested in working in government. And we do a lot of cross-recruiting with states and the federal government. And then on the diversity and inclusion side, we've also started to do fellowships where we're getting non-traditional talent to work in our cybersecurity team as fellows, um, give them work experience, but we also get to learn and, and uh, benefit a lot from their skills, multilingual skills, from their life experiences. That's wonderful. So, Santiago, before we close, I've got two more questions. Are there any other accomplishments you'd like to highlight? And what are the three or so takeaways you want our listeners to be left with from our discussion? I think foremost, again, our hypothesis is if we change the way that we work, if we understand that our true north is to connect our city hall, our workforce with our constituents and to deliver better experiences, 
I think that we set ourselves to be able to almost deliver so many accomplishments that it gets hard to track. Um, and I think that we, I think that we're starting to get on that path. Um, but it takes a lot of work. And I think that it takes some hope and optimism and at times suspending disbelief that just because something might not have worked for a long time, that it is doomed to fail. Um, and it is, a uh, humbling work to do this and i think that we just again we're lucky to have a team that is willing to try new things that um that is smart and is committed to deliver really good services so that's great so one last question what advice would you give someone who's considering a career in public service i think they should totally try public service i think a lot of times so much of civilization of society of like how we move around whether you fly whether you drive whether you walk when you're at home drinking water all of the experiences that we have are supported by public servants and i think that if we're going to be in a democracy understanding and having a, a vested interest in how it gets done and how it gets delivered is is crucial I never thought that I was going to spend as much time as I have in in government. I've found it. I love it. <laughs> I haven't been able to not do it because I think that once you start working on making improvements that are tangible, it's almost addictive. But um, for other people, it might be just something that they consider doing for a few years and then going back. But I think everyone whether you're at the beginning of your career, you're in the middle of your career, or you're late in your career, government needs you. We need talented people, people who care. And I would just invite them to give it a try. And if they don't like it for a long time, that's okay too. I think that we should be okay with people doing shorter stints in government if that's what they choose. That's wonderful. Well, Santiago, I want to thank you for joining me today. But more importantly, I really like to thank you for all the great work you're doing for the city of Boston. Oh, thank you so much. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Santiago Garces, Chief Information Officer of the City of Boston. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government technology and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at iTunes, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.